Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. of Daniel and uh, having a good time, a book that speaks to our time and our day. Remember last week we talked about King Nebuchadnezzar having this terrible dream, a dream that he knew was huge, that it involved deity, but he couldn't interpret that dream, And so he called on his wise men, and they all let him down. Conventional wisdom was insufficient, as is normally the case. And so he's going to have everybody killed, all of his wise men murdered, because they couldn't tell him the dream and then interpret it. Then Daniel and his three friends had an all-night prayer meeting. And God told Daniel, I'll give you the dream, and you can interpret it for the king. King Nebuchadnezzar was bigger than life. He had everything going for him. He was the world's greatest ruler. He'd put down all of his enemies. He was in charge of the world. He was in control. And his chief god was Baal. Now, he would bow to many gods, but his chief god was Baal. But he encounters difficulties that his god is insufficient, too small. He has little g gods. Have you ever thought about that? Could you hit something in your life that your God is too small for? If you have little g gods, then you're going to hit something that way. What about a mountain? If a mountain to your life that you couldn't climb over or tunnel through, would you turn, what God would you turn to? Would your God be big enough? What happens when what you're trusting in doesn't work? And so many people are bowing down to little g-gods. Success and materialism and a thousand other things. I can make it. I can handle whatever comes my way. Nebuchadnezzar had some lessons to learn, and Daniel is going to be a source of wisdom to him. Daniel let the king know two things. Number one, the source of his dream. If you've got your study guide, you follow along. The source of his dream was God, big G God, Daniel's God, the God of heaven. Number two, the purpose of the dream. That was to reveal the future. To reveal things that were going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar, in Nebuchadnezzar's time, all the way to the latter days, the very end of the world, and the coming of Christ. Now, that's a huge period of time. But that's what God is saying through Daniel to King Nebuchadnezzar. So we're getting a view of world history. Now, one thing we know, we cannot put God in a box. Whatever box you try to put him in, however big you make the box, just the bigger the explosion when he comes out of it. Because you can't contain 
God. And the only, you can't guess God, outguess God. You can't figure God out. If so, he wouldn't be God, would he? The only time that you know what God will do is when he tells you. If he doesn't tell you, you don't know. You don't have a clue. Because let me tell you how I see God work so often is whatever I think he's going to do, he does something else. Is that so in your life? Even if he's going to bless me, he won't bless me in the way I expect the blessing to come. It'll be a surprise. It'll come from a different direction, different source. Even when I'm discouraged and God sends somebody to encourage me, it's never who I expected to come. Because you can't figure God out. Because he's working everywhere. He's working in everybody's life. And he sees the whole spectrum. And here God chooses to communicate to a pagan king. Who would have figured? God is going to give the history of the world in one wide sweep and he's going to communicate it to a pagan king. He's going to tell that king what will happen in his own life in his own kingdom, and in future kingdoms. And because of that, understanding chapter 2 of Daniel is the key to understanding the prophecy of the rest of the Bible. It's called the keyhole chapter. It's only when we understand this chapter can we really get a grip on the rest of biblical prophecy. How do we know Daniel was a true prophet? Because if you're going to take prophecy and go with it, you need to know something about the prophet. How do we know he was a true prophet? Well, Jesus declared Daniel to be the prophet. I don't know about you, but that pretty well sells it for me right there. Jesus said he is the prophet. Also, what God told Daniel that would happen was 100% accurate. You see, a prophet, a true biblical prophet, has 100% accuracy because he's given you what God has given him. King Nebuchadnezzar was worried about his kingdom. You know, it seems like all world leaders are somewhat insecure when they get to the top, when they get all of that power because they're afraid of losing control, they're afraid of enemies, they're afraid of those who would come and try to take them down. And that was true of Nebuchadnezzar. He was afraid of losing his great empire that he had built, and he had done a tremendous job in building the world's strongest empire. But now he wants some encouragement, some uh, some feeling about it happening. And so God is giving him answers. He's revealing the future through Daniel. Why? For God's own purpose. Yes, he's communicating a message to a pagan king, but he is accomplishing his own purpose. God is the revealer of mysteries. He knows everything. And because God revealed this mystery to Daniel, it enabled Daniel to do the impossible. Daniel is an ordinary man. That should encourage you and me. But... He had an extraordinary commitment 
to God. He was God's man through and through. Would not compromise. And so God could use him as his instrument and an ordinary man could do something that was, was extraordinary. And that is interpret the dream to this king. You see, Babylon was the center of false religion and false gods and worshiping idols and uh, it epitomized evil in every form. No wonder it was in that very place that God chose to begin to communicate the future. But see, God has a big plan. Remember, the Jews had every opportunity and God warned them for 490 years and then finally God said, that's enough. So now what is God doing? God is communicating with a Gentile pagan ruler and he's setting up a plan because God is setting aside the Jews and now in a work with the Gentiles, it's called the time of the Gentiles and that will take us all the way to the coming of Christ. So what you see happening is simply the plan of God. What's going to happen with the Jews, with the Gentiles, until the King of kings, the Lord of lords, comes back to rule on this earth? God put the authority in the hands of the Gentiles. It was God, did, God did that. It was God's plan. God set it all up. We pick up in verse 31 from last week. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. I wondered how I would describe that statue to you, and uh, here's how I'll describe it. It was enormous, dazzling, awesome. That's what the Bible tells us, isn't it? It really describes this statue for us. Remember, what, why this statue? Remember, he is communicating to a pagan ruler. He is communicating to a Gentile. He is communicating to a man that knows about images, that knows about bowing down, that knows about building images to men. And so he's using the image, something that is familiar. A huge statue would get the king's attention immediately because you think he thinks of a huge statue, he's thinking it should be a huge statue of myself. But what this image is, is a picture of world history, listen to me, from the only one who knows the future. God sees all future as if it had already happened. God sees the, the end from the beginning. The Bible says he's the A and the Z. He's always been here, always will be. He sees the entire thing. So when you talk about the future, that's something, you know, people get, since you brought it up, people sometimes worry about, you know, the, their past that they brought on the blood of Christ and they're forgiven for, and the devil keeps bringing it up, and they wonder if God loves them as much. When Jesus died on the cross, all of your sins were future. Think about it. He knew every sin you would commit in your entire life, and he loved you enough to lay down his life, to die on a cross so you could be forgiven of your past, present, and future sins. Somebody ought to say glory. 
so God sees it all. And you know, when I was reading this passage, I was thinking about my own decisions that are often not good decisions because I don't have the wisdom to make hard decisions that I would like to just have easy answers for. But imagine if you could see how it played out. That would make it a little easier to make the right decision, wouldn't it? Well, let me tell you something about God. Every decision is the right decision because he sees it played out. And he has your best interest in his mind and heart. And it's going to happen exactly as God plans for it to happen. Modern man thinks that human civilization is strong and getting stronger. And that it's going to be strong forever. The Bible says that's simply not true. The Bible says that human civilization is resting on feet of brittle clay and sand that can easily disintegrate and topple, becoming tiny pieces and being swept away by the wind. And America needs to understand that. Because as we look at America, our hearts break because America has lost both its strength and its beauty. Its strength of character, its beauty of values, and what's really meaningful of this country. Thinking that we can be strong because of of our money, because of our machines, our technology. Do you know, and you keep bringing things up and getting me off, but do you, you know when I think about the, the issue we're dealing with in Iraq, do you understand that this nation is supposed to be the superpower? And we have all of these things to fight wars with. We have the... the the airplanes and the, the stealth bombers, the B-52 bombers, the, the fighter planes. We have all the tech stuff that we, that we use. We, we have unmanned, you know, little planes that, uh, that, that go over. And, and we have all this stuff. And we can't win because we're fighting against evil. And you can't win over evil with stuff. That's a great truth if you'd get a hold of that. Because so many of you are trying to conquer the evil in your life with stuff, with things, with success, with money, with materialism. Did you, and you know, and Bush hadn't called me on this. Cheney hadn't called me. Condi hadn't called me. But I'd like to tell them all that America's greatest strength is on her knees. Because we, we're not so strong. And so God has a message. And Daniel now describes this image in verse 32. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay, a mixture of sand and clay. So this unusual picture of the statue of a man that consisted of a, a, a strange assortment of metals, a multi-metallic image of four metals plus sand and clay. Each metal represents a world power 
through the time of the Gentiles. God turns from the Jews to the Gentiles. God communicates to a pagan ruler. The reason Nebuchadnezzar is the successful ruler that he is is because God made him successful. God put him where he is. And now, this image is showing him the future of, the, of himself and all these world powers during the time of the Gentiles until the coming of Christ. The head is pure gold and the chest and arms silver and then bronze and then iron and iron and clay. And you notice it gets, it, the value goes down each time. And it really gets stronger there until we get down to the, to the clay and sand it, uh, because we depend so much on our own strength. Verse 34, while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron. Now, and I notice each one of these represents a kingdom in world history. The pure gold, the Babylonian kingdom that was so strong, so powerful. But it, this rock didn't strike the head. It didn't strike the chest and arms or the belly and the thighs or even the legs. But the feet. It was already disintegrating of itself. And it smashed them. Then the iron, then the clay, then the bronze, then the silver and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor of the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. And we think we have weapons. Do you understand that no matter how great the enemy how big the kingdom, God can say, it's over. Dust. Only dust left and the wind blew it away. Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? This is the greatest kingdom man has ever built, the Babylonian kingdom. Here's a statue at the top, this head of gold representing the Babylonian kingdom and all the future kingdoms. And then this stone not made with hands says, it's over. Not leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Daniel saw a stone not made with hands that came down on the statue's feet, and the entire statue goes to pieces, becoming fine powder and blown away with the wind, not leaving a trace. You remember a, a, a story about a, another teenager named David? And they were facing this giant who had everybody intimidated and paralyzed in fear. And David goes out there and picks up a handful of stones and a slingshot, and he goes up against the, he doesn't need the king's armor because God is going to direct the stone. And he lets loose one stone and it hits the giant nine feet tall, hits him in the head and kills him seriously dead. 
You say, why did he have five stones? If he just, that, it was God directed. David knew that Goliath had four brothers. And he might need to take them all out. So, one stone brings down the giant. True with David. True with the empire. No matter how big, how strong. One stone brings it down. And leaves not a trace. And this rock or stone that crushed the statue grew like a great mountain and filled the whole earth. You know, when I was reading this, I was thinking, Hollywood would have fun with this, wouldn't they? They could, they could have fun making something uh, out of this. And I'm, you know, they're doing it for the wrong reasons. They're doing it for M-O-N-E-Y. But Hollywood, because of the passion of Christ now, is doing a lot of religious movies. And I'm glad the nativity at Christmas time was just an incredible thing that, that, that we bought for our home to watch every Christmas. And uh, there just been some good ones out there. And I, I hope that, uh, that there'll be many more. Look back at verse 28. The purpose, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. And so that's the purpose, is to make known what's going to happen from Nebuchadnezzar's time all the way to the end of time. So each metal represents a kingdom, a world empire. And isn't it interesting, to this day there have been four. Four world empires. And now we can look back and see as history has unfolded that what Daniel was interpreting to Nebuchadnezzar was exactly what was going to happen. So Babylon was the first kingdom, the head of gold, from 626 to 539 B.C. 36, this was a dream, and now we'll interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, the God of heaven. Look at that. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. God set you up. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You're over everything. You've conquered all your enemies. You're in control. You're that head of gold. But he says, I want you to know God has given to you, Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom and the power and the glory and the honor to rule over it. Now, why did he do that? Why did he give it to this pagan ruler? Because God is setting aside the Jews because of their rebellion, their idolatry, their disobedience, and he is turning to the Gentiles for a period of time. It's called the time of the Gentiles. And so that's what he's doing. Listen to the words of Jesus in Luke 21, 24. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now he is ushering in the beginning of the time of the Gentiles that ends when Christ comes back. Verse 39, after you another kingdom will rise inferior to yours, next a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. So Daniel right here doesn't name the other kingdoms, but we have the Bible and some other verses in Daniel and history now to, to give us a pretty good picture of exactly these four kingdoms. The second one, the Medo-Persian Empire, the chest of arms and silver, that was 539 to 331 B.C. 
In Daniel chapter 5, verse 28, listen to what it says. The kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So here's the next part of the statue. Here's the next kingdom. And it goes down in value. But it increases in strength, but down in value. Silver has less value than gold, and yet it's stronger than gold. What God does is he sets up an inferior kingdom to take out the superior kingdom. God, God doesn't need any help to do anything. And many times God will use the most least expected source or person. Aren't you amazed the people God uses and the people God doesn't use? And if he wants to take down something superior, he'll use something inferior to take down something superior. By the way, God loves to use the weak because he's the strong one. And it's only when we recognize our weakness can we really be used of God. So now we have this second empire, and two great rulers appear during this empire, Darius, or you may call him Darius and Cyrus. Isaiah 44, 28 says this. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. Now, that verse, if you, if you know what it's saying, you just get a little excited. Because when you realize that, that Isaiah is saying this 150 years, some say 200 years, at least 150 years before it happened. Isaiah is saying before Cyrus is ever born. Now, how can Isaiah say that? Because God is saying to Isaiah, Isaiah's writing it in Scripture, that says at least 150 years down the road, there's going to be a king by the name of Cyrus, and he is the one who is going to free the Jews and allow them to return home. God is God. And he sees the future as though it had already taken place. We know now that Cyrus did rise up. He was king. He did free the Jews and let them return. But now, listen to me. Did all of them return? No. Many of them refused to leave Babylon. Why? Because they had become Babylonianized, culturized. They had bought into the culture. They had bought into the evil. They loved it. Question for you. We're in modern-day Babylon. Have you bought into that? Let me just ask you something. I thought about this at 3 o'clock this morning. I started to call you. What if God, in that wind yesterday, didn't bring a tornado, but a prophet appeared? 
And the prophet said that he was from God, and he calls all of us to leave modern Babylonia and go out until, to some way off place. One of these states that still has acres and acres of nothing. I want you to leave Babylonian culture. I want you to leave this culture. I want you to leave your stuff. I want you to leave Walmart and Target and Best Buy and Circuit City. I want you to leave it. What about Starbucks? I guess it's got to go to you. You got a chocolate. What if God says, leave your beautiful home, your dream house. Pick it all up. Just the clothes you, you're wearing, leave everything behind. We're going to go out here and we're going to spend the next 50 years praising God and then go to heaven. How many citizens of the architects would follow God there? Now raise your hand because I'll make a bunch of you lie. I'm telling you, this world has a hold on of us, on us greater than we think it has. And turning loose of this world is very, very difficult. And that's one of the messages of this book. Because here's what I, here's what I want you to hear and listen to it carefully. As you hold on to Babylonian culture, modern Babylon, just know that Babylon lies and lies, lies and lies. God is the one who's speaking truth to you. We could put it this way. Are we taking Christ into the culture? Or are we bringing the culture into us? Are we taking the church into the culture to try to impact and win the culture to Christ? Or are we bringing the culture into the church and becoming more like the Babylonian culture? Those are hard questions. Could it be that our desire to be cool, culturally relevant, also means that we have become spiritually irrelevant? We don't really matter. Verse 39, next to the third king, bronze will rule the whole earth. The Greek... Greece, Macedonian Empire, the belly and thighs of bronze. The key rulers, the man you are for me with Alexander the Great. By 331 B.C., this gifted leader had conquered all known kingdoms of the world. And he wept. Remember that story? He wept because there was no more world to conquer. No more kingdoms to conquer. He died in his 30s. The Greek soldiers, by the way, used shields of bronze. The fourth kingdom, the Roman kingdom, the legs of iron, the feet of iron and clay. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break others. 
146 B.C., guess what happens? The Roman legions came like tanks and crushed everything in its path, eventually crushing Europe. And what's happened over time, the bigger the Roman Empire got externally, the weaker it became internally. Is that a message? You know, there, there are those who've written comparisons between the fall of Rome and the fall of America. And the parallel is absolutely striking. The bigger and stronger we get externally, the weaker we get internally. I hope you're, I hope you're listening to me and I hope you're tracking with me because America's greatest problem is what's wrong with us internally. We're internally weak. We're not strong. It's our own fault, but we are. We're too weak to wage a war against evil. We bow down to the little g-god of what the secular world calls tolerance. See, I'm getting off on entirely too many things because you keep bringing them up. And, but try to keep me where we are because we've got to get, got to get through this. The next verse clearly predicts the decline and the deterioration of, of the Roman Empire. Verse 41. Just as you saw that the feet and the toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, and even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, it's important they mention the toes, so this kingdom, ten toes, will be partly strong and partly brittle. Just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. Is America united about anything? I don't think so. Every nation of the Western Hemisphere really has its roots in the Roman Empire. In one way, we're an extension of the Roman Empire, and now we're acting a lot like the Roman Empire. The eagle, you remember the Rome's eagles, the Senate copied from Rome, the Republican form of government, the courts, our laws, the military, all have some roots and, and bear some images of, of the imprint of Rome. And in verse 41, notice that the feet and the toes, and we'll talk about that in a minute, the ten toes. Revelation 13, 1. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. 17.12. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who will for one hour receive authority as kings along with a beast. So in the days of the ten toes, we have a multi-nation world. A ten-nation alignment that really will continue till Christ comes back. Because no great empire follows Rome. Rome fell because it couldn't control itself. It fell because of internal weakness. But Rome continues to exist in the nations <coughs> excuse me, of Europe, <coughs> in Italy and France and Great Britain and Germany and Spain and all of these really are pieces of the Roman Empire, and there's this movement that's been continuous recently <clears throat> to this 
this ten-nation confederacy. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but the young people in that part of the country, uh, no matter what particular nation, they, they want to be called uh, Europeans. And uh, the, the European currency. And so you see that, that building uh, setting us up for what I believe uh, are the, the, the last times. What's happening is, see, when you see this loosely... Uh, these nations loosely cooperate with each other and, and it is setting the world, it's setting the stage for the coming of a charismatic world leader who is called the Antichrist or the man of sin or about 30 or 40 other aliases. And this benevolent dictator for peace and unity and People are going to fall at his feet and follow him. But seemingly the Bible indicates that God will not let him appear until he removes his church. And it, it seems that the next thing on the agenda is the rapture. And that could come at any moment. And uh, it certainly could come today, would suit me fine. So how's it all going to end? In Isaiah 2, verse 2, it says, In the last days the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. As chief among the mountains, it will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Verse 45 of Daniel 2. This is the meaning of the vision. The rock cut out of a mountain, not by human hands. The rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold to pieces. Remember that? Joshua 8.30. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal the uh, altar to the Lord of Israel. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites, he built it according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones, the stone that was not cut, uh, which no iron tool has been used. They offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. Psalm 18, 22, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and is marvelous in his eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O oh Lord, save us. Grant us success. And then in Romans 9.30, we studied this in the book of Romans, remember. What then shall we say that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued by faith, but as if it were by works. Watch this. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And 1 Peter 2.6 says, see, I lay a stone in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, quoting from, from Isaiah. So, Pastor, why did you read all those verses? So you would see directly from Scripture that the stone is Jesus. He is the stone, not cut with hands. Virgin born by the Spirit of God didn't come from a human father. The resurrection not pulled off by human hands. 
Jesus himself arose from the grave. Jesus is the rock of salvation. He is the stone that was cut by the Father so that we could be saved. He loved us so much that he was willing to let sinful men cut at the body of Christ and nail him to a cross to shed his rich red royal blood that our sins could be forgiven and that we could have salvation and eternal life. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Religion, no. Going to church, no. Singing in the choir, no. Not of good that I've done. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is clay, sand, seeking sand. I tell you, if I was a singer, I'd just be singing all kinds of songs this morning. Because so many hymns talk about the rock and the stone. And I want to say something to my lost friends here this morning, unbelievers. You've never yet made your decision for Jesus Christ. And this comes from my heart to your heart. It's from my heart of love. But I want to honestly tell you, and maybe nobody's ever told you this, but I want to tell you, that you are either coming to the stone or the stone is coming to you. That you're going to face God in salvation or you're going to face God in judgment. Those are the only two options. Salvation and judgment. You see, the first time he came, he came as a stumbling stone. The second time he comes as a smiting stone. Luke 12, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after these things. Your Father knows that you need them. But seek the kingdom, and these things will be, will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near or no moth destroys. See, yeah, God says the things that are really valuable. If you have Christ, you can't lose any of that. You can lose things that don't matter, but you can't lose things that, that are really ultimately valuable. And he says, for where your treasure is, is it in Babylon or is it in Christ? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Robert Browning has a little girl say in one of his writings, she was singing a little morning song. God is in his heaven. All's right with the world. That's not exactly what the Bible says. The Bible says God is in his heaven. And he will ultimately right the world. And it's all in his plan. And he showed it to Nebuchadnezzar. In the vision he saw four things. He saw the image. He saw the image smite the stone. He saw the, that it just fell into pieces and the wind blew it away. And then he saw the stone becoming a mountain and filling the earth. The image, the stone smiting the image, 
the stone becoming a mountain and filling the entire earth. Now let me just quickly take you back in archaeological discovery. And I know you get excited just hearing that word. Imagine what these words meant when Daniel spoke of the great mountain that would fill the earth. Nebuchadnezzar conquered all of his enemies, and now he rules over Babylon. And the most ancient of all the Babylonian temples was the temple at Nippur. And the god in that temple was Shadu Rabu. And so when he conquered that whole kingdom, when he was in control, because he conquered that temple, then that meant that, that his God now was the God over everything. His God was Baal. But he changed the name of his God. Well, he left Baal, and then he added to it Shadu Rabu. Because that name means great mountain. So now, his, his key God is Baal Shadu Rabu. Rabu. It, it's, he's the God of the mountain. Now, knowing that his God is the mountain, now that he's in total control, his God is the biggest mountain, and he is totally secure. It's a dream that the big stone is coming. The big mountain is coming. The greatest mountain, the stone, the Lord God himself, the Christ of glory. Daniel the prophet lets us know that in the latter days Christ is coming to destroy evil on this earth, to purge evil from the earth, to make a new earth, to set up an everlasting kingdom that will literally last forever. The stone not made with human hands is Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, the coming King. The only God that perhaps we will ever see is Jesus, God incarnate in the flesh. And one day, he's coming back to earth. The man Jesus returning to earth, and one day we will reign with him. And so we say with the prophet Isaiah, Oh God, rend the heavens. What does he mean by that? Roll back like you would roll back a scroll. Open up the heavens and show yourself. Visibly appear. And then John, behold, he cometh with clouds. And every eye shall see him. And then John, that, an aged prophet, as he closes the Bible, he says, come. Lord Jesus. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry.